Race matters. 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 Always, before we begin, I'd like to acknowledge that we are broadcasting on the lands of the Gadigal people. This land has been tended to for thousands of years by generations of Gadigal peoples before us. It will continue to be a meeting place for sharing knowledge, stories, song and generations generations after us also. And just like we are also privileged to do the same today here at FBI Radio, so I pay my respects to Gadigal elders, both past, present and emerging. As we're broadcasting from Redfern, this is the birthplace of black theatre in this country and a site for resistance and resilience, which is ongoing for First Nations people in Sydney. I'm Sada Khan and welcome to Race Matters. This is a show hosted by people of colour, speaking with people of colour about the ways we understand and value our racial identities. Incarceration can be a sure thing in diminishing one's humanity and with the majority of our First Nations youth being overrepresented in youth detention, how can we give them the tools to self-determine their own narrative in a system that's been built to neglect it? So we're going to explore that further with today's guest, Glennie Thomas. He is a proud Bidjara Wakamin man raised in Townsville of North Queensland. He has performed traditional dance in front of audiences since he was a young boy, which over the years inspired his passion for performing arts. Graduating from Nays to Dance College and taking his practice to international audiences, he now collaborates with Functional on Beyond the Walls, a work that's been choreographed by youth in Reby and Frank Baxter Juvenile Detention Centre. So we'll be talking about that on the show and what he has learned from the stories shared by youth in these centres and how it's informed his practice. You're listening to Race Matters. And on the show with me is Glenn Thomas. He's a Bidjara and Wakamin man. He's a performing artist here to talk about a really groundbreaking work called Beyond the Walls, which is being showcased at Sydney Opera House on the 12th of January. It's been choreographed by the youth in Reby and Frank Baxter Detention Centres. And we're really privileged to have Glenn with us on the show to share this space. Thank you for coming in. Well, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here today on FBI. So first off, tell us about Functional and how you became involved with the group. Yeah, um, so I started with Functional back in the beginning of 2017. I was a um, fresh graduate straight out of um, NASDA. Um And our artistic director, Jared, wanted me on board, oh, Jared Veltry, sorry, wanted me on board um, for a lot of uh, little projects and workshops we were running at that time uh, in Frank Baxter and out at uh, Ribby Detention Centre, which is the two... Um, youth detention centres, but we'll talk about that. Yeah, we'll talk about that um, later. (laughs) That we were working with at that time. So, um, but G scooped me up because, you know, he's seen me in community in Torres Straits, um, more specifically up in um, St. Paul on Mow Island and the the Western Islands. He's seen me um, dancing there because he was um, up in the islands at that time doing some projects um, in early, mid-2016. So, yeah, he he wanted me on board to come and um, facilitate the cultural arts. Yeah. In the inside the detention centres, yeah. And so, what kind of like creative or spiritual journey were you on when you began collaborating with them? Um, yeah, well, I was you know fresh out of NASA, so I was just kind of um, finding myself as an artist. Well, I still am. I think we still 
you know, go on that journey of, of learning, um, you know, for the rest of our days. But, um, yeah, it's just kind of finding myself as an artist and, and my place um, in the community as well. And, and, you know, just thinking about what was suited to my um, skill set. It's, it's something that you can't, like, it's, I feel a lot of artists would have that as well when you're fresh out of graduating and you're fresh out of your studies and you're going into that workspace. It's a totally different space yeah. to be in as a creative than when you're in the walls of an institution. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, that's it. You know, when you're in a place like Naza, you're, you're nurtured a bit and you look, look, get babied quite a lot. <laughs> um, and once you come out, that's it. You just get chucked straight on the deep end. So, um, yeah, you got to learn quick. Yeah, and you got to like really find that space that's pretty like nurturing to your own creative pursuits as well. Otherwise, it's mm. like a big shark tank, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. And if you don't have, you know, artists, you know, who are experienced and been in the industry for a long time, nurturing you and mentoring you and guiding you, it's it's even more harder. So, um, yeah, you really got to um, just go for it. Yeah. <laughs> and so how did Beyond the Walls begin then? Um, yeah, so as I was saying, we started those projects uh, well, not projects, workshops. We were just running kind of trial workshops um, back in early 2017. And G was, um, he had some artists on board who were performing his play that he wrote, which was called Love Drunk, Drunk, Love Drunk, sorry. Um, so that was kind of like a precursor to pretty much to the whole project because we were just kind of going into the centres and, you know, running workshops, doing performances, and we're just coming in and out of lives, you know. There wasn't really an outcome. Mm. Um, so Beyond the Walls was, I guess, created, you know, because we really wanted to make a difference in these young people's lives. And we really wanted to have an outcome for the young people inside. And we wanted the community to see that, you know, and be a part of that. And you're kind of gifting them something as well because you end up enabling them to have something, like, tangible to hold mm. in a way when you get them to make a work that's, pretty much their own like they've self-determined that whole narrative for themselves yeah well that's it you know they were the puppet masters of this whole work you know they created it all yeah um we were just their tools yeah we, were the, we i mean we ran some workshops you know giving them choreographic choreographic tools and um just so they knew how to um look at movement and kind of de deconstruct and and um you know, just kind of um, manipulate movement or tell us how to manipulate the movement and just give them ideas and, and, you know, think about how they can stretch things out because, you know, they're not trained artists like we are. So we had to kind of offload all our knowledge in four to six weeks and, um, and just let them go for it. Yeah, and so how did that relationship with the kids grow from that initial meeting to the end of the workshops? And did you notice any change with their relationship between one another? Yeah, absolutely. Massive changes. You know, when we first started in in, in the centres, um, you know, because these are kids that come from, you know, broken homes, dealing with a lot of trauma. Um, and, you know, when you go into these places as well, different dynamics and, you know, you don't know what's happening behind the walls as well. So when you when we started, um, it's just about breaking down that wall and build, building that trust um, and building relationships with the young um, men and women. So it takes a fair bit of time and ultimately we just got to um, bring out the best of them and we just do that by expressing ourselves. And that's what they're taught inside is not to express themselves because they're closed and closed mentally. Well, they're being punished. Yeah, that's which it. Which is like, even then, like is um, already dehumanising them enough. Like mm -hmm. punishment is a form of dehumanisation in a way. Yep, absolutely. Um, you know, young people shouldn't be... Um, in these centres, I don't think it's 
um, the way we should be looking at um, issues in our communities. Um, and because, you know, centres like that were never to rehabilitate people. Mm. When you look at history, prisons and um, those types of places aren't, aren't used for rehabilitation. Um, and these kids aren't coming out for the better. They're coming out worse. And majority of the time they go back into the same environments that they came from. So um, it's, yeah, there's no, um, you know, this project was all about building them up, building up their confidence, giving them the power um, to create something positive. And um, that's what they certainly did. Yeah. And you were working with, was it girls in Reby? And then like it was boys at Frank, Frank Baxter, yeah? Yeah. So we had um mix, mix of girls um, at Reby Detention Centre. Majority of the girls were um, indigenous, indigenous youth, um, couple Pacific Island girls, and a um, few other backgrounds. Um, at Frank Baxter, we had split groups. We had an all uh, boys group, which was made up of indigenous boys, um, about I think six boys, and we had um, another group which was a collective of uh, Pacific Island boys, some boys with Asian background, Lebanese. Um, and and some Caucasian background as well. Yeah, yeah, and it's really important as well for these kids to be able to see themselves in those that are guiding them. So how did your identity as like a strong man of culture and being black in Australia guide them to tell their narrative? Yeah, um, I think it was it was a real shock, real shock to to the indigenous, um, you know, the young young mm. indigenous youth inside, um, because they're not connected with culture, you know. These, look, these young people come from, you know, communities who probably don't have that kind of exposure as well. Um, so when they have, you know, young, well, young uh, men and women like myself who were part of the project coming in, being proud of who they are to express themselves and their culture, it's a really big shock to them. And um, they actually, <laughs> when we would, there was one um, little exercise we would do and we would get them all in a circle and the artist would have to go into the centre and they would just say words or call things out and the artist had to respond to it. Every time I did that, they would make me do... All they would make me do was animals. Oh, true. Because they just wanted to see me express culture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And see how... They I, were craving I would, it. Yeah, exactly. And and that's what our young people are, craving that connection. And, um, you know, they're, they're just hungry for culture. Because it's, it's part of their healing as well. Like a big part of chucking our kids into detention centres is to ensure that they're kind of set up for failure later on in life. It's to kind of set up our people to have a life of constant incarceration and that cycle of trauma. Mm-hmm. And the more you put them in that cycle of trauma, the more they're pushed further and further away from culture. Mm-hmm. And so you guys kind of like, you know, breaking down those walls and like working within a system that represents the colony, work like represents colonization. Cause like it's hard mm. to dismantle the system itself. And you guys have found a really kind of excellent way to work within the system, but still give these kids the tools to heal, eh? Yeah, that's right. And, you know, over, over the weeks as we went on building the show and, and they were kind of constructing their own storylines, you know, we were playing with different themes and emotions um, when it came to the cre- creation of their storyline. Cause, each, we had three groups all up. Each group was roughly, you know, around 15-minute mark. Mm. Um, so, you know, they created uh, almost a 15-minute work. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it was just really interesting to see um, them take control and um, just enjoy um, having something in their hands and, and watch their um, their 
creativity come out and um, seeing them express themselves, their characters, their personalities. Um, and that's what was, you know, made it special for me was just seeing them be themselves. Mm. Yeah. And it would have taught you a lot in return too. Absolutely. Yeah. This project's, um, yeah, it's done wonderful things for me as an artist and I've certainly taken a lot from it, yeah. Yeah. Now, you've mentioned before that you specifically don't refer to these centres as detention centres. You call them prisons. So mm. can you unpack that further for listeners? Because that choice of language and words, it can have a massive impact on the reality of these kids' circumstances. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, look, I've been into youth detention centres and I've been into adult prisons um, because I've had family, um, you know, revolve through the door mm. of youth detention and and in prisons as well um and to be honest there's not much difference between the two young people just have a little bit more privilege probably a little bit more uh freedom in the day but ultimately um they're in enclosed doors um they're shut off from the world they're shut off from themselves um and they're just being institutionalized yeah and, and set up for the for the adult prison absolutely and you know, these systems are designed to break people down. When you look at the history of prisons, that's what they were built for, to break people down mentally, spiritually and physically. And and that's what they're doing still in yeah. these um in these prisons. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, they also yeah. um well like our mob we didn't have prisons two hundred and thirty years ago, did we? No, certainly not. <laughs> so like the fact that we're the most like over incarcerated population of people in the world Mm-hmm. You know, it tends into that um, the truth of the fact that prisons are a representative of ongoing colonization, but also white supremacy. Yeah, that's right. Well, it's no secret that our young people, in, you know, right across the country, um, fill the prison systems. When you look at the percentage of um, Indigenous youth incarcerated, incarcerated, and you know, it's not long ago we were watching young boys being tortured. In mm. the Northern Territory in Dondale. And, and everyone's just forgotten about that. Everyone's had amnesia exactly. about that. You know, what's what's happened to that case? You know, yeah. You know, what's what's changing around the country? Um, so I think that was, you know, a very important um, thing to highlight in this project as well, uh, for myself as well, and bringing more awareness about our young people um, in, in, in incarceration. Um, you know, and I'm always going to speak for, you know, my people, um, even though, of course, there are non-Indigenous in there as well. But let's just take a look at the real issue here. Mm-hmm. Our, our youth yeah. fill the detention centres. That's right. Um, and it's not getting better. It's getting worse. Um, and that's something that needs to be looked at and it needs to be, you know, sh- we, well, this project sh- definitely has shined a light on it. Um, and it's been a, you know, massive slap to my face as well, you know, being a part of this project. And it's kind of made me get off my bottom and, um, voice my concerns and my opinions about um, you know our, our young people inside. Yeah, and so how has your journey um, with these kids and beyond the walls informed your practice? Um, <laughs> that's a big question. Um, <laughs> yeah, in massive ways. Um, it's really hard to go in there and um, and leave because yeah. they just give you so much. You know, they. They just appreciate you so much. You go in there and you just give, 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 but they just give back tenfold. Mm. And when you walk out, it's hard to to leave. And yeah. they don't want to leave. They don't want to leave you when they're in, 
you know, you hear the hear the guards coming, they hear the keys, right. you hear the doors closing, opening, and it's it's kind of stuck in your head. It gets stuck in your head, you know. It's like, ah, oh, okay, it's that time to let go now, yeah, and it's yeah. hard to let go because all you want to do is tuck them all under your wing and just run out of there with mm. them. Um, so yeah, it's 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 influenced me in in a lot of positive ways, but it's also um, made me realise that um, we have a long way to go in this country, and, and we need to start. Um, opening dialogue about this issue. Yeah. Mm. And hopefully um, Beyond the Walls does do that, especially put it being put on in a space that represents... It's a big colonial institution, the Opera House as well, <laughs> and trying to break down the barriers to get, you know, black content yeah. into those spaces, especially content like this. Mm. It's not a usual for that space. And so this is, I guess, one step, one step forward, in, in one step forward in terms of, like, you know, pushing this conversation into the limelight. Yeah. Well, that's um, big credit to, you know, the functional crew. Um, big shout-out to uh, G, if you tune in, Jared Veltri, our artistic director, um, and brother Jameson, Stefan as well, and all the functional crew who were, you know, always behind the scenes and working very, very hard, coordinating with us, the artists, and, and community as well. Um, so it's quite special that we could come back and do this performance at the Opera House because um, we travelled around here in, in Sydney performing the the show this year. We started off at, um, where was the first performance? We started at Bankstown Arts Centre. Then we went out to Campbelltown Arts Centre. After Campbelltown, then we went back into Reby to perform it for the yeah, girls. Yeah, you've given it back to them. Yeah, and just give it back to them. And, and they were just, you know, so ecstatic and just couldn't believe... Um, the show because it just exceeded their expectations, yeah. you know, because they saw the us performing when we had the show put together, but they never envisioned the lights, the set, and everything, and it all come together. And when it was, you know, put in front of their faces, they were just blown away. Mm. You know, we had, you know, the set was about ten grand. You know, we had lights, um, curtains, the whole lot. You know, yeah. they had a little stand that they sat on. They all sat there. It had popcorn and snacks. Oh, bless. And, <laughs> And they just had smiles all the way through. And, you know, you see them all nudging each other and, oh, that was my part. Yeah. Or, you know, and you just... They feel real powerful in that yeah, moment, eh? Just see them come to life and, and you just... You could just sense that they had a pride of, within themselves that mm. they had done something yeah. positive. Well, before we wrap up, we ask this question to all of our guests. Uh, it's kind of like becoming oh, a um, part of our, ar <laughs> our archive uh -huh. of Race Matters guests. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. When did you realise that your race made you powerful? When did I realise my race made me powerful? When I was very young, mm -hmm. um, which is very lucky for myself because a lot of our people don't realise um, how or have pride in themselves as, as black people. Um, you know, a lot of people inspired me um, to have pride within myself, family members, um, deadly people like Kathy Freeman. Um, just black people in general as well, you know. But I think the moment I felt that I was powerful was the first time that I put ochre on my skin. Mm. And that's when I came to life and the fire inside myself grew and it hasn't stopped since then. Yeah. 
That's too deadly. Thank you so much for joining us for a really special and intimate yarn on Race Matters. Um, it was a real privilege to have you contribute to the Race Matters catalogue and say thank you so much for joining us, Glenn. Nah, thank you very much, Sarah, and uh, to FBI Radio. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Race Matters. 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 Race matters.